This is PodBridge. Connecting the U.S., the Middle East, and the world. Welcome, and thank you for joining the latest episode of PodBridge. My name is Yusuf Al-Ateba, and I'm the UAE Ambassador to the United States and your host for today. Each week, our goal is to explore issues of common interest to the United States, the Middle East, and the world. The HOPE Mars mission successfully launched on July 19th after two weather-related delays from the Tanegashima Space Center in Japan. Just prior to the launch, I had the opportunity to speak with two extraordinary women. UAE Minister of Advanced Technology and Deputy Project Manager of the Mars mission, Sara Al-Amiri, and Dr. Ellen Stofan, former Chief Scientist for NASA and Director of the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. These two pioneering women played key roles in making our historic Mars mission a reality. Enjoy the conversation and be sure to listen to the bonus content at the end of the episode, which includes clips from my conversation with Hazan Mansouri, the first UAE astronaut in space. Ladies, thank you for joining us. Sara, especially thank you for joining us from Tokyo, where it's very late at night. Thank you for having us. Yeah. My first question is to you, Sara. What does a typical day at the ministry look like for you? I'm sure there's a lot of the Mars project that takes up your time, but when you're not dealing with the Mars project, what else are you dealing with? So the first is, is ensuring that we have the voice of those in the science community very well heard within the UAE, because addressing challenges usually starts from the grassroots and ensuring that scientists have the right environment for them to flourish and endeavor their uh, their development efforts we also look at the current regulations and see if they if they are all aligned with the development of um, of research outcomes and driving them into implementation and other um, forms of fields. Another area we're looking at, and this is a critical sort of lens of, of, of addressing it within the context of the UAE, because there's no other country that has done this transformation at a time that the UAE is currently doing it at. And what we're focusing on is how do you create new sectors? How do you create new capabilities? Especially if you're going from a transition point where, uh, where you're, you're starting to fuel your sectors based on knowledge and therefore creating more and more knowledge enterprises. And this is where the, the, the sort of link with the Emirates Mars mission comes in. The Emirates Mars mission was created as a, uh, as a program to develop skills and talents, to develop engineers who are capable of driving and developing um, very complex systems and very complex autonomous systems. Those percolate into creating new sectors. What we did with the Emirates Mars mission and the development of the skill sets there was to start developing skills in areas that people never had the opportunity to do it before. So when engineers graduate, typically what they do is, you, is deploy technologies that are imported into the country and have those infused into various areas uh, and sectors uh, within, within the UAE to provide services. We never had the opportunity to start working on design and development and to ensure that we push forward um, the, the aspect of design and development within the country. This mission provided us with a methodology by which we are able to work with international partners, be able to develop experience, not by only focusing on indigenous growth, but also focusing on international partnerships. And that's how you get the knowledge, uh, knowledge uh, transfer and get the know-how transfer. That is one method by which we can create new sectors. So if we want to create new industries within the UAE, we need to go down the path of gaining experience from others 
not starting from the beginning, starting where other where others have have uh, reached to, and push forward the learning process. Interesting, Ellen. Can I switch to you for a second? I know you've known Sara for a while, and I know you've been following our program for a while. But do you remember how you felt and your reaction the first time you heard about the UAE space program and the Mars mission? How did you feel as someone who's been doing this her entire life? You know, I was incredibly excited about it. And I had the opportunity to come and visit the Space Center and, and get a tour when the, the mission was still very early in its planning stages. And that's when I, I met Sarah and we became good friends. And, you know, to me, to see this everyone starting to participate in space exploration, not having it dominated by just a few countries was incredibly exciting. Because to me, the way that we're truly going to become a spacefaring people around the world is by everyone participating. And that way you're developing talent all around the world. You're taking advantage of everybody's talent. And that's what really moves science forward. That's what moves engineering forward. And that's what's going to take us eventually to having humans living on the surface of Mars. You can't just have it be one country. You need everybody on board. You need everybody participating. That's where you're going to get the best outcome. I want to understand a little more about how you both got to where you are. What drove you into your respective fields? How did you end up focusing on planetary geology or on how did Sarah end up in the satellite programs and before you ended up in the Ministry of Advanced Sciences? Tell me a little bit about your journeys. Ellen, why don't you go first? Sure. Um, I always feel like I have the, the weirdest story because my dad actually worked for NASA. And so I went to my first rocket launch when I was four years old. Um, and, I, and my mom was a science teacher. So I, I grew up, my sister became an attorney. So this didn't seem to affect her. But um, you know, I just grew up around science. But one of the things that was really important to me was was role models. And, and at that time, which was now quite some time ago, there were so few stories of women who were involved in science and engineering. And frankly, everybody who worked at NASA looked like my dad. So I decided I wanted to become a geologist. Um, and I, I really didn't think about working for NASA until when I was about 14, my dad was in charge of the rockets that were launching the first two U.S. landers on Mars, the Viking landers. And I went down to the launch and the scientists were giving talks to the kids who were down at the launch and they were talking about searching for life on Mars and this planet that we could learn so much about the Earth from studying. And I said, that's it. That's what I want to do. So weirdly enough, at age 14, I decided I wanted to become a planetary geologist and I stuck with it. I totally understand. Sarah, what about you? So I started my early passion, not particularly in space, but in programming. I started my very first lesson in rudimentary programming at that time at about fourth grade. I was, um, I believe, nine at the time. And what interested me is the logic that goes behind um, software development and the way you can break down very complex programs and take them into the most simplistic forms and then just tell, tell a computer how to do it. And that has been a decision where I think it took me about a year to figure out what did that mean um, and to link it to a career. And um, ever since then, I've wanted to be a computer engineer. And upon um, graduating, my biggest dread was um, going to work on, in an IT department or to work in maintenance of systems. And I really wanted to work on designing and developing softwares 
um, on very complex systems and pushing it forward. And completely by accident, I um, found out about the Mohammed Rashid Space Center. Uh, that was 2009 and um, joined them completely coincidentally. Um, and I was really glad that I made that choice and, and fell upon um, that uh, entity because it provided me with an opportunity to work as a software uh, developer and today provided me with the opportunity to work to work on the region's very first mission to Mars. Was, was that a very male-dominated sector? My wife is a, an Egyptian civil engineer and she always tells me that in her, in her school there was only four women and everybody else was men. So in your field, was it always also similar was, or is it more balanced? Men. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What about, what about the UAE? Because there's always this perception, frankly, that, you know, you know, women don't do well in the Middle East or it's much more restrictive. And, and I, I try to tell them that that's, that's a very inaccurate portrayal of what you think is the region and, and your proof of, you know, that breaking that stereotype. What was it like for you? Um, for me, it wasn't the case. So when I was studying um, in computer engineering, I think we were roughly 30 or 40% women um, at that time um, as a cohort. Um, upon working, just a caveat here, I was the first hire as a, as a woman engineer into the Pembrashid Space Center. Uh, but at the moment, the Emirates Mars mission is 34% uh, women and 50% women in the le leadership uh, role within the program. It's not something that is, uh, it's foreign when people look at us as a large team, especially as a science team. I think Ellen has, has met mo most of them. The science team is 80% women. Um, and uh, like Ellen said, when we go to international conferences, there's a whole lot of men there. Uh, we're, we're, we're the very few women who are there, the Emirati women that are, that, are, uh, that are within those conferences attending them for Mars Science. And that's a sort of a stark um, it gives people momentary pause going like, wait, um, it, it, I think it, it gets to a point where, wait, hold on, you guys are from the Middle East and you're all women and science and what went, what went wrong or what went right here to make this happen? Yeah. Ellen, what about you? Yeah, I, I mean, especially through most of my career, I've been in rooms that are almost all men. Uh, and that's why it was so fun to come to the UAE and meet Sarah and ha have something I could, someone I could really talk to. And so it, it's getting better, I will say, over time. But it's actually one of the things we really focus on at the Air and Space Museum because I think it's hard for kids to think I can be that if I can't see it. And to me, that really ties back to the HOPE mission and, and really what it means. It's, it's important scientifically. It's important economically. It's important for a lot of reasons. But I go back to that inspiration. Every, every kid is going to look at that mission and they're going to learn about Sara and they're going to say, I could be her. And, and for girls, that's incredibly important. Yeah, so I, I want to sort of follow up on that a little bit. Because sometimes we look at this mission and we look at just the pure scientific objective of the mission. And I, I know very little about this, but if I do that, I think we're missing the big picture. Tell us from a U.S. perspective and from a science perspective, what's the bigger goal? Like when we do these things, what are the unintended consequences and things that happen because a 50-year-old country decided to send a probe into the space, outer space? You know, again, when people look at space exploration, I mean, there's a huge economic incentive for a country, in my opinion, because when you invest in technology, when you try to do things that are really hard, as Sarah was describing with what her job is, you really move a country's economy forward. So that investment in technology that you get from a space program is incredibly important. 
scientifically, we can talk about weather on Mars and what hope's going to help teach us. And all that is really important as a scientist to me. But again, I look at that inspiration part that I think space exploration brings. It's sort of the higher butter part of our nature. When you say, look what a country can do when it sets its sights literally on the, on the stars. And so when you say as a country, look at what we can do. When we put our best talent and our best minds, uh, we can accomplish anything. And the Apollo program did that for the United States. The number of PhDs in the United States, there was a huge wave of increase. And those people didn't all become space scientists like me. They became engineers. They became doctors. You know, it, it, they became technologists. I mean, Jeff Bezos talks about how he was inspired by the Apollo program. So you inspire entrepreneurial thinking, innovative thinking, um, and I think that's incredibly important. So then on top of that, when you can show, look, it's, it's not just men, there are women involved, there are people from all different countries, it inspires every kid, which means we're tapping into all the talent. And, and Sarah, to you, what does that mean for the UAE? We spoke briefly and you gave me an insight that I had never thought of, which is this is really about building your talent base, which is actually what Ellen was just saying. What does that mean from a UAE perspective? For us, initially, if we go to the micro level within the Space Center, we were working on Earth observation satellites. This mission provided us five times more complexity when it came to a system. It was an immense learning opportunity for all of us. In just six short years, the amount of knowledge and capabilities that we've gained as an organization, the shift in mindset and the risk appetite within the organization is, there's no way that I can quantify how impactful that's going to be down the line, even beyond this mission. And when we look from the larger context of the UAE, it's creating new opportunities for people to start working on. I, I spoke about my story and my dread of, of not, not finding an opportunity that I wanted to contribute in and um, studying something, but not being sure where I would be working with, with, the, with the degree that I found. Today, we're creating a ripple effect, like Ellen said, of more and more opportunities uh, coming into play. And through this mission, we've seen more and more students go and complete their graduate studies. And this is something that we, we have a strong drive for within the country. We need people to graduate from natural sciences. We need to have a diversified um, talent base. And this is what this mission has started to spur. And more importantly, it gives us the, the retrospect of when you're talking about science policy, how do you go about developing a science and technology ecosystem? How do you ensure that you're able, when we're talking about creating a new sector, say, in, in agriculture technology or creating new capabilities in desalinating water, how do you go about doing that? We don't have the corporations that people work in to get the necessary skill sets to push forward. It's the same story that the U.S. went through. It's the same story that Singapore went to um, years in the past. And it all stems into having a large inspiration with which you are able to develop talent and you're able to develop expertise. And with those talents and expertise, you can drive it forward. It's not about resources. It's not about a dollar amount that you input into it. It's not about building the right universities, laboratories, networks, and so on. At the end of the day, it stems down to the people, the skills that you provide them and the talent that you provide them, and then the experiences and the network that you build, especially global networks. And this is something that's very important for us in the UAE and has stemmed into the Emirates Mars mission. It's the first time for us to do this, but international partnership was vital to the success of this mission. You know, and I got to see that firsthand. Sorry, I was just going to say, I got to see that firsthand when I was traveling. 
in the Emirates a couple different times. And I, on those times, I've gotten to visit universities um, in, in various Emirates, and I've gotten to visit some primary schools. And when I talked about Mars and I talked about the HOPE mission, you could just see the kids come to life. I mean, this it's so inspirational for kids and being able to see that in your country and that excitement firsthand was exciting for me. You just feel this life and this energy that is, is really, really so positive. Yeah. And to just to, to comment on Sarah's point, I think it's like she said, it's not about the resources or how much it's going to cost or the short term gain. It's about having a vision and how that vision reflects into your country's journey. Right. That's why the moonshot speech and trying to, you know, draw a broader trajectory, as you were saying, is so important. It's not just about going to the moon. It's about what that means for us as a society or as countries. So I, I, I'm starting to understand now. Something, Ellen, you said earlier, I want you to kind of come back on. Here we are, a country that is going into Mars and just, came, just had a lot of astronauts come back from outer space. The barriers to entry for space exploration are a lot lower today than they used to be 10 or 20 years ago. Do you think or do you predict that there's going to be more collaboration on programs like this around the world, or do you think there's going to be more competition? You know, I think there's going to be more collaboration because I think, um, I think the global community has really gotten focused on it's time to get humans back to the moon and then humans onto Mars. And no one country can do that by themselves. It's too expensive and it takes a ton of talent. And, and that. <laughs> sharing that cost um, and, and sharing that innovative spirit, all the scientists from around the world participating, that's what's going to make this happen. No one country is going to be able to put the resources behind it. We have to do it together. And frankly, that to me then is an opportunity to say, when we can't always get along here on the ground, can't we use the better part of our nature to actually push humanity further out into space? It's not one country pushing out, it's humanity. That's what I was hoping to hear. Sarah, what do you think? Absolutely. It's nobody can enter into space thinking that this is a, something that they would compete in or something that they would own. Um, science, just in its pure format, is not owned by any one person, any one country, any one group, any one company. It is something that has been always fundamentally owned by humanity. And space is all about exploration. It's all about pushing our boundaries of knowledge it's not something that's owned by one country. It's not something that you compete in. It's something that you collaborate in and something that you push forward as an overall species rather than corporations and individuals. And, and is it fair to say that you'll both accept, expect to see more collaboration, not just between countries, but also between public and private sector? I mean, the first private sector space launch just occurred a few weeks ago. That's, that was a historic milestone. You think this is going to be the way of the future? Definitely. You know, again, it's an all hands on deck. There's no, you know, people are, I always get asked the question, oh, isn't there a big competition between SpaceX and NASA or SpaceX or, you know, Blue Origin and NASA? And you're like, no, NASA's so excited about these private companies coming forward because the more you can drive costs down, the more we can do. And, and, you know, for those of us who want to explore space, we want to get out there. You know, we want to start collecting more data. We want to learn more and understand more. And the only way to do that is by, again, having everybody be involved. 
Absolutely. And when we look at the private sector, it's about effectiveness and efficiency. And that's great for the space endeavor and, and, and getting things done in space. And more importantly, the government is there to then um, reduce the risk factor so that as an overall um, program, space program, both from a private sector and a, and, a, and a public sector, you're able to drive um, advancements forward. And the private sector is not really going to come in until there's a profit motive, right? So they have to see, they have to see, okay, there's something that, in this for me. And, and you, you, we see with space tourism, it's, it's starting. And I'm really curious to see where it's going to go. Yeah, I think I, I, I talk to a lot of people who are actually willing to try out space tourism and give it a shot. So far, I'm not one of them, but who knows? We'll see. Um, Sarah, we're getting very close to July 14th, uh, the moment of truth. What you've been working on for the last several years is about to happen. How do you feel? You just said what I've been working on since late 2013 will soon sit on top of a rocket awaiting for launch. So. Um, a, a collection of mixed feelings from being terrified to being excited to uh, apprehensive to um, I, I just can't explain the multitude of emotions at the moment, especially reflecting on um, the large chunk that this has taken from our life. So everyone that has been on the mission, including our partners, this has been our every living, breathing uh, moment. It has been part of our household, part of our families. Uh, part of our workplaces constantly. There was, there's, and, and I think Ellen knows this, you get to a point in the mission where there's no, no such thing as day and night and work days and work weeks and so on. Um, and it's just, I think it's interesting in retrospect to see if this is going to create a void after launch, especially if the spacecraft's not here and it's on its journey. Um, and let's see what the journey has um, in store for us. I hope, I hope you and your team are very proud of what you've accomplished because for any Emirati who's looking at this from the outside and just watching the progress and the development that you have all made, it makes us feel proud. So I hope you guys feel proud because that's how we feel about everything you've done. And to both of you ladies, my last question, you're, you're both very accomplished, but also very inspirational woman leaders. A lot of young girls are looking up to you both for what you've stood for and what you've managed to accomplish. What would be your advice for young women who are looking at you now, who are looking at the space launch and saying, I want to be like Sarah, I want to be like Ellen. Ellen, let me start with you and then I'll close with Sarah. You know, my advice to young girls is don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't, you shouldn't, uh, because you have to have what I call channeling your inner Katherine Johnson, who was the African-American woman who helped plot the trajectories for John Glenn's first flight. You know, she went into rooms where she wasn't welcome. She sat at tables where people didn't want her there, but she knew they needed her talent. And so to every young girl, I say, make sure you go sit at the table, make sure you stay in the room and don't let anybody ever tell you you don't belong. And then point to Sarah as you say that. Yep. <laughs> Sarah, what would you tell young Emirati girls if you ever go visit them in universities or schools? For me, it's pursue what you're passionate about. Don't allow sort of something that doesn't exist today to shape what your future is going to be like. Um, life has an interesting way of putting things in your path that you don't necessarily have planned for, have dreamt for, 
But if you're not susceptible and open to experiencing things, if you uh, continuously close the door because you can't, uh, like Ellen said, or you shouldn't, or that's not a path that you should go down, you're never going to get to where you are. I think the impositions is more of something that is intrinsically built uh, that you need to, like Ellen said, just channel your inner, um, your inner power and just understand that opportunities come and by seizing them, you'll be able to uh, create great change in this world. Well, even though some of us are not with you in Tokyo, I assure you we're with you in spirit. We are incredibly and immensely proud of everything you've done because things like this put not just you and our society, but really put the country on the map and put it on a map in a very good way. And it makes, I, I hear this a lot from young Arabs that how proud they are that there is a successful Arab country that lives up, lives up to people's aspirations, that this is a good model, that this is where young Arabs want to live and learn and work. And everything you have done is part of that success story. So even though we're, we're going to be in Washington or in Abu Dhabi, we are with you in spirit in Tokyo and best of luck on the 14th. And we wish you great success. Helen, thank you so much for everything. I don't think the UAE would have been able to accomplish this without support from you and the United States. And this is just a fantastic success story. So thanks to both of you. We're going to be thinking about you on the 14th, Sarah. It's going to go great. Thank you so much. I think the team is quite passionate um, with getting this far and um, having everyone's thoughts and prayers with us is something that is quite helpful for all, the, all of us to drive it through. Thank you so much, ladies. It was really lovely chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you. I also recently had the pleasure of speaking with Hazza Mansouri, the first UAE astronaut to be launched into space. Hazza is a former Emirati F-16 pilot, and he, along with Jessica Mayer and Oleg Skripocha, docked to the International Space Station on September 25, 2019. We've included a few clips from that conversation. So you've always had this dream, and then all of a sudden you see this announcement by Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid saying we're developing a space program. So what? how did you feel? What went through your mind? It must have been like a dream come true. Definitely, Your Excellency. It was like a dream come true for me. The opportunity is open, and uh, I was really excited. Uh, and the, the amount of applicants I saw and the different uh, backgrounds I saw in uh, from our country, the youth is really uh, uh, a lot and uh, diverse in different uh, sectors, different fields. Scientists, uh, uh, engineers, pilots, all of them coming to uh, uh, to apply for this uh, job, which is to, to make uh, our country proud. And uh, just to let you know, uh, like it was like 30 years from uh, last Arab reaching, more than 30 years reaching space. Uh, in the 80s, uh, Prince Sultan bin Salman and after him, uh, Hamid Faris, they went to space. But after that, there's like uh, 30 years of uh, no uh, like Arabs uh, went to space. So the spark is again uh, here, uh, started in UAE. And I believe uh, it's spreaded all over the Arab region as well. Azai, you said 4,000 Emiratis applied. Can you tell us a little bit about the selection process and then we'll go into the training, but from 4,000, it got singled down to you and Sultan, just down to two. So what was the selection process like? 
Yeah, it, it was really tough. I, I remember it is like uh, it was in 2018 in Ramadan. Uh, we started like uh, two years ago uh, the the selection process when they just uh, started to uh, selecting from the 4,000 applicants down to 500, down to 95. Uh, each time they did a series of uh, uh, of, of medical uh, uh, checks, uh, psychometric test, IQ t uh, IQ test. All of them just to uh, um, check uh, the applicants and uh, filtering them. Uh, definitely, uh, health is uh, one of the go-no-go -no -go, uh, things when it comes to going to space. And thanks to my background uh, uh, in military, so it's give me uh, that advantage. Uh, with also my colleague Sultan and Niyadi, both of us uh, went through it uh, in a very uh, professional way, and uh, we end up nine. Uh, candidate, we went to Russia. Uh, we did the same process that uh, the Russian doing for uh, their uh, uh, cosmonaut. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of medical check uh, and uh, uh, different type and series of, of also uh, like uh, med checks like uh, centrifuge and uh, chamber uh, check. Uh, all of them, uh, they are like series of, uh, of uh, medical and mostly medical. Uh, to see uh, how you're really fit uh, and ready for this uh, type of uh, missions. Because uh, when you are going to space, it's really very tough environment. Hostile environment, microgravity, so you have to be really ready mentally, physically. And uh, also they will check you how you communicate with, the, uh, with your uh, crew and with your team. So a lot of skills set as an astronaut you should gain from your maybe previous uh, job or from your uh, your social life. Always I encourage uh, who want to pursue this dream to always uh, read more, uh, engage more with people and uh, know more about uh, the history of space also. Tell me how you felt when you found out that you made it, that you made the cut, that after 4,000 applicants, you were going to be the guy who creates history for the UAE and live your dream. I, I was really rushed. My, my blood rushed to my mind, my brain, my heart, and I was really happy. Uh, I remember that I gathered my kids. Uh, they, they knew that I applied to this uh, uh, program from the beginning. So they were like following me uh, in, in the process and telling them more about what's uh, coming and what I, uh, I did also. So uh, when I received uh, the announcement from His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid and Mohammed bin Zayed, uh, both of them, they announced our names on uh, 3rd of September. Uh, we were in, uh, in the airplane going to uh, Star City, to Russia. Uh, I was really happy, honored. Uh, I'm going to, uh, to make this dream, nation dream, come true. Uh, and it was really, uh, also we felt a huge responsibility upon us to make this mission accomplish. So uh, we focus on our training and it is really very, very tough training and the preparation in terms of uh, preparing for any missions related to space uh, field. So uh, we are really happy and uh, honored selected for this uh, mission. Azai, you issued a message from outer space in Arabic. Tell our viewers why you felt that that was an important thing to do. I think it's really very important. We, we have been away from space sector as a, as a human space flight for 
more than 30 years. And it's really important to come back again with a very uh, solid uh, message that we are here. Uh, UAE is here. We are the first, by the way, we are the first Arab on board the International Space Station. Uh, and hopefully we'll be not the last uh, from this uh, Arab uh, region. Uh, in future, there will be a different uh, countries participating. That's what I, I, I can sense uh, when I uh, went to different uh, like symposium and uh, lectures. The spark, uh, we, we ignite. The United Arab Emirates ignites in this field is really uh, enormous and uh, unimaginable. Uh, you, I can see it in the eyes, or not only in the eyes of UAE kids, in the whole uh, region. Uh, the courage and the the, the, the amount of of uh, of uh, of pride that's okay we made it there's an Arab on board the station uh, going to space conducting experiments conducting uh, science uh, participating with different type of, of of machines equipments working with different astronauts cosmonauts together in harmony. And it's really amazing, uh, Your Excellency. And for older people like me, not young people like you, we were used to watching a space program where it was always government funded. NASA would send the space shuttles and satellites into space or the military. Same thing in Russia and other countries. Now you, you mentioned something that is a big milestone that I don't think people appreciate. This is the first private sector space launch in the history that we are aware of. Do you think that becomes the norm? Do you think that in the future, more private sector and investors are going to be engaged in space as well as the governments? Or is this a trial balloon and we don't know how it's going to go? I, I believe uh, it is a new milestone that it will open a new era uh, in space exploration, uh, either by SpaceX or uh, Boeing or other uh, uh, private sector. It's going to be really amazing uh, what we will witness in the uh, next decade. Zai, you said something early on at the beginning, which was that, you know, when, when my nine-year-old son sent in the question that that's kind of your target audience. These are the people you really want to reach out to and the people you want to convince that if they had dreams like yours of going into outer space, that those dreams can come true. So what's your advice to all the young Emiratis who are staying at home, who are watching YouTube and playing video games, and some of them have dreams of going into outer space. If you were to address them or speak to them, or if they were with us on this meeting, what, what would you say to them? As far as I know, I know my kids are now watching me. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, my advice is, uh, uh, is just uh, explore. If you are a kid, always have this uh, curiosity and uh, exploration uh, sense on you. Always try to figure out how things working, uh, and uh, always remember health is number one. Eat a healthy food is always number one. So lifestyle is important. Uh, this is the one aspect, and the other aspect is pursue your passion. Always you have to work uh, and pursue a dream that you are uh, passionate about. Uh, work to achieve that. Uh, to let you know, uh, to be an astronaut is not a career uh, like you will pursue in university. You have to accomplish a lot of things before you uh, achieve that goal. So you have to work on yourself and uh, despite 
you should you shouldn't be like an uh, a pilot to be astronaut. You can be uh, engineer, scientist, uh, doctor, teacher. Even the teachers went to space. So it is a passion. Uh, they drove them to to pursue their dream. So this is my advice for them: follow your passion, work hard to achieve them, and uh, believe me, if if you are from UAE, you will have a lot of opportunities in future. This has been Podbridge, produced with the support of the Embassy of the United Arab Emirates in the U.S. For more information about the Podbridge Project, follow us on Twitter at UAEUSA United or visit our website at podbridge.com.